0: Brought to you by Leaving the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! it's another knockdown! He's not he's getting up, up. He's not low getting up, he get up, He's not getting up! No, he's been knocked out! It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without. Made Regan down quick. It's Fist with Evan Rutkowski. He's good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans! It is Wednesday, November twentieth. And this is the Fistinatos Podcast on the Leave it in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at Fistinatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at Fistinatos Pod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and RingTV.com. Let's just jump right in this week. It's going to be the deep dive is going to be... Mostly, a little bit about the heavyweight situation, but mostly just about the upcoming Wilder-Ortiz 2 pay-per-view fight. Before we get into that, though, um, review section first. On Saturday, November 9th, there were two cards of note. Zone put on the YouTube fight where KSI beat Logan Paul by extremely controversial split decision. Uh, and then there were two fights on the undercard. B.J. Saunders beats Marcelo Caceres by KO-11 for the WVO Super Middleweight title. And Devin Haney retains his WBC lightweight title with a wide unanimous decision over Alfredo Santiago. There has already been a lot said on this card, so I'm not going to overdo it. I'm just going to say my piece here. To the boxing purists, I don't care if DeZone does these cards to build up their sub numbers because we all know right now they're giving us great value and if we want that to continue, then there needs to be a lot more subscribers. We are getting better value uh, than what they are getting in subscriber numbers right now. That much is clear. And they planned on that. That's not like it's anything bad to say or anything like that. They 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 planned on that. They're trying to build up subscribers. So if they're going to do this to build up subscribers, great. Do it. I don't care. As long as they keep getting the great fights, I don't care. Um, if you don't want to watch it, then don't. I don't if they do... Three or four of these a year, I'm not gonna watch all of them. Um you know, it, it's it's really that simple. Uh this was interesting. You know, to the YouTube fans who I'm sure don't listen to the show, like you got a very on-brand introduction to boxing. The undercards were long and mostly boring, if, especially if you're not like a huge fight fan. Like the main event was fun, exciting, controversial, and it set the stage for future fights. I don't know exactly what Jack Reese was doing, but you know, controversy is exactly what to expect from this sport. Uh, moving on to the undercards, I'm sure Saunders would have wanted a better performance because that performance certainly is not going to get him the Canelo fight. Um, but this is BJ Saunders we're talking about here, and he is one of the most inconsistent fighters in the sport. Like, talented, yes. Inconsistent, yes. You know, but he's a champ now. I guess he's still you know, is one of the top fighters, but okay. I need to see more of it and I need to see more regularly. Uh and I need to see it against top opponents. That right now is not happening, and I can see why Canelo wouldn't want to fight him after this and not because <laughs> Canelo would be avoiding him. Devin Haney is one of the top young fighters in the sport, and in the past this fight would have happened long before, maybe not long before I should I I I don't want to put this past the title belts but before he would have gotten a title like this was a learning experience and in the long run Haney needs to get experience with styles like that especially before he fights someone like Luke Campbell you know if you're going to dock anyone points here it's that Haney shouldn't have had that opponent on this specific card it should have been much more of a showcase fight where Haney could have gotten a highlight reel KO with maybe an aggressive fighter So, you know, not the greatest matchmaking for this card. But in the long run, these types of opponents will serve Devin Haney well. I mean, look, Haney could be a future deep dive himself in an upcoming episode. Like the way he's done things on the business side has been fascinating. Uh, But just in terms of this fight in particular, this one didn't mean a whole lot, you know, except for the fact he got to walk in with his belt. He got to fight in front of a young crowd that will hopefully one day be paying money to watch him fight. And that's great. He got to learn a little bit in the ring, too. Great. And he got paid. Great. Okay. Moving on. Also on Saturday, November 9th, from Fresno, California, and on ESPN+, Jamel Herring defeats Lamont Roach by unanimous decision, retains his WBO Jr. lightweight title, also on the card. Kubra Pula beats out Booker in a really boring fight at heavyweight. Uh, Falcao and Gabe Flores Jr. also posted wins. This was a really cool show, you know, with that reception, the walk in that Jamel Herring had—it was really, it, it's been really interesting to watch him develop as a fighter. I mean, and it's weird to say for someone like him because I know he's a little bit on the older side, uh, but you can tell he—look—he's got a great, rich sort of life story uh, where he's overcome a lot of hurdles, and 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 there's all kinds of emotions that come with it. Like that part is gripping. When you watch that stuff, I know it's been told, you know, several times now, but I, th- I think there's just a lot more to get into with him. Like you can tell that with some of the stuff, it's crazy stories, but you're only scratching the surface. He's very focused and ambitious. He stays in great shape. Like it, the interesting thing though is you can see he's learning on the job and improving. Like there are several moments during that fight where you watched him in the ring and you just thought, "Wow, that he, he's looking." That's what Terence Crawford would do. You know, you can tell it's like you can tell he's training with team Crawford and that's really, really impressive. I mean, it's a little weird that he's older than Terrence Crawford, but you know, that's okay. Like he's, he's still learning and and he's got a lot of miles left uh, to give, you know? So I think it's great. I want to keep seeing him fight. Obviously we've talked about this a lot. He's at a weight class where there's plenty of big fights to make uh, for him. You know, there's plenty of ways where he can fight in unification fights for big money uh, and and I hope he does it. Okay, Pulev. I will touch on a little bit during the deep dive. Maybe actually not that much, but you know whatever. That was super boring. He won. He kept himself alive for bigger things. Like the younger kids developed a little bit, as noted from last week's deep dive. This was the last fight on ESPN Plus before Disney Plus and that bundle launched. And some interesting side notes and follow ups on that. First of all, I shout out to my man Fight Ghost. Uh, On the tech stuff, he and I are kind of all over that on Twitter. I mean, was it shocking at all that Disney had tech issues on day one of subscribers signing up for Disney Plus? Not at all if you subscribe to ESPN Plus. Uh, Other interesting sort of stuff. 10 million subscribers as of now. Many analysts think Disney can hit the 60 million subscriber goal a full two years before they had anticipated. So now they think that's in play for 2022 rather than 2024. Um, I also know from employees there that they purposely did the pricing such that it was cheaper to get the entire bundle of Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus than it would be to get two of them. Which uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure is an amazing comfort to the fine folks at Hulu in particular. Um, but the, you know, who knows how many of those people got the bundle out of that 10 million? But there's just no question now that ESPN Plus subs uh, have increased dramatically. And we're now in a different world for what ESPN Plus can do with the fights there. So eyes on them for the next few fights. Like, let's see how they do this. Let's see how they integrate it. Okay. For the deep dive this week, let's go look at the heavyweight division, but really just those two big upcoming fights. And really, let's just focus on this week's fight. There's, I mean, there's just so much here, and there's so many different ways this thing could go. Let's just jump right in and look at it. So Wild Ortiz 2. It's upcoming on pay-per-view this weekend. This is the rematch of one of the best and most watched pay cable fights in 2018. It was on Showtime there. And in the old pay-per-view world, if Showtime was putting this on pay-per-view, we might be looking at an expected performance in the, you know, by range of like 225 to 250. There might be pathways to 300K or a little bit more in that world. But there would also be pathways to 175K or even less. Um, maybe it matches what Wilder Fury did, but maybe not. That that would be, I think, the very high end of expectations if you're in the pay cable world. Uh, there are a lot of factors that you can look at, both on the positive and negative side of this. The, let's say sort of stay in that old world and see how they apply today. Look, on the positive side, Wilder's stardom has grown quite a bit since the first fight. And really, it, over the last two years in general, uh, he's fought twice since then, both of you know, uh, both of which being incredibly memorable. Uh, you know, with the with the Brazil fight, it was just sort of a memorable highlight that went viral. Obviously, the Fury fight, producing one of the best fights in the heavyweight division in this generation, along with some real defining moments. That's good for the pay per view. You know, the distribution here is obviously another factor, like probably in the category we don't quite know the effect. Uh, because Wilder Ortiz fight was on pay cable rather than pay-per-view and though it was highly watched and not even as highly watched as you think, like it did not top, uh, you know, I think it was a like 1.1, 1.2 million. I think with the peak that, you know, it was like 1.2 million viewers. Uh, but you would have expected had things been sort of normal pay cable transition, uh, stuff for the Brazil fight to do better than it did. That didn't top a million viewers. Obviously it was a round one KO, so it didn't get a chance to build, uh, but you know, these are things where you're looking at. It, you're like, okay, there's some positives, there's some negatives. The Brazil fight certainly went viral, um, so that's great. What here's here's what I'd say though. We're in this weird world where the first fight was on pay cable, and then the rematch is on pay per view, and. Again, those highly watched, there's not a whole lot of great examples of rematches of fights that started out on pay cable and then, you know, the first fight started out on pay cable, the rematch ends up on pay-per-view. I mean, Gotti Ward 3, Roy Jones Jr. B-Hop, some of the, you know, Pac Marquez did not start out on pay-per-view. None of these translate really well for a variety of reasons. Like, They're all wildly different in nature, and some of it's because the time in between the rematch, some of which is that – here's the key thing. It's tough to ask $75 for a rematch of something where the first fight was part of a monthly package that you essentially view as either a sunk cost that's that's free, basically, even though it's not actually free, but it's just a sunk cost. You're paying it no matter what for HBO or Showtime – or if you're only getting it for boxing, 12 bucks, Like, that's what you paid for it. So is the rematch really worth 75 when the first fight was worth 12 I mean, there's a couple different mentalities here. You could say, oh, well, lots of people watched the first one. It was certainly a contender for fight of the year, if not fight of the year. So people know it's a good fight, and they'll be willing to pony up for the rematch. But that doesn't take into account the hardcore boxing fan who's acutely aware of the value of these fights and who probably doesn't like always paying for pay-per-view. So some of those will be like, you know, some of those fans will be like, hey, this was part of my regular Showtime subscription last year, and now it's on pay-per-view. Like, screw you, this is not good value. I know good value, and Ortiz is not a star. I want to see two stars fighting on pay-per-view. You know, when core fans are the targeted audience, which is really where this should have started, you know, certainly where you would have started for this on pay per view. That's not a good factor to have working against you. You know, also working against the fight is that Ortiz doesn't speak English. um, Or if he does, it's not not well enough for me to have heard anything remotely close to good English. He's of Cuban descent, which is traditionally an ethnic base that just doesn't matter at all in terms of pay-per-view sales. And, you know, these factors, at the end of the day, they are the old world. And here's, I think, the key difference. We're just not in that world anymore. And there are a number of factors that make a huge difference in the Fox world of pay-per-view. And let's just start going through them. Like First of all, we are in the thick of the NFL season. And Fox has just been blasting out marketing materials and shoulder programming. And I think there's several key reasons why this is going to end up mattering. I mean, Fox has just been running the spot for just this fight now for almost a full month which is crazy just in terms of awareness of this product. And there haven't been any other fights on Fox to really promote, which actually in the old world, that would be a disadvantage. But in the new world, that's kind of an advantage because you're not promoting a fight that's coming up on Fox on Saturday night. You're just promoting this. And in sort of a scheduling quirk that has worked to this event's advantage there were no fights of note last weekend on the 16th. And then there's a YouTube fight on the 9th, which, yeah, it soaked up a lot of oxygen in the boxing sphere, but it certainly wasn't viewed as a real fight, at least among hardcore fans. So for hardcore fans, this fight had three full weeks and two full weekends starting after the Canelo fight to kind of like own the discussion of of what's going to happen among the core fan base. And... After a year of just nonstop fights on every single weekend, like you go back and especially just look at there, there weren't any fights of note on the 16th. Like that's significant. All the hardcore fans basically got a break, and then it's like, oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get back into it, and this is a good fight to get back into it. And that's a big change. Like historically, you'd probably never want that, but historically, there haven't been several, you know, multiple fight cards on every single weekend. Like as some several fight cards of note on every single weekend. And I think that just works better for the pay-per-view to own the space and sort of own the oxygen. The amount of time we've seen the spot on Fox's NFL coverage has been crazy. I mean, it would add up to more money than, quite honestly, we spent on Mayweather Pacquiao. The fact that Fox has aired the shoulder programming right after NFL football on two Sundays before the fight And both of them had average viewerships of over 2 million for the shows. One was like 2.4 million. Like that's really something. I mean, those are going to be the two most viewed boxing programs on Fox all year, which is crazy. Like this is the new world we're in. Traditionally at HBO, we would have run the shoulder programming after a series of big fights on the network. But Fox again, hasn't had any big fights on the network. They haven't had any fights on the, on, on the big Fox at least. And, Like I said, that might actually be smart because they're getting bigger audiences to watch the shoulder programming after football instead of doing it after live fights and maybe significantly bigger audiences. As a side note, I mean, I have incredibly mixed feelings about that because nothing sums up how Fox feels about boxing better than the two most viewed boxing shows of the year on Fox are actually shoulder programming pieces promoting a pay-per-view fight that Fox gets a significant distribution fee on while it's great for the boxing industry that Fox has, has gotten behind the, you know, pay-per-view so much, you know, you, in the back of your mind, you're like, well, what if they would have aired an actual fight after one of those football games in some of those prime positions? Like what would that have done for boxing on the network rather than just supporting a pay-per-view? You know, and when you look at it, you're like, well, in terms of evaluating a TV show, Obviously, these shows lost a crazy percentage of viewers for NFL football, but Fox doesn't care about that because they actually have a stake in how well the pay-per-view performs. So it's great for them. And quite frankly, it's great for the fighters. So that's, you know, that's where these mixed feelings come because I want the fighters to get paid. And obviously, I would have loved to have a platform like this at HBO but Fox has it, and they're using it, and that part's great. And you do wonder, wow, what, would this have been – like, should they be doing this? But I get it. I get it. This, it's hard to schedule this stuff at big networks. There's other programming commitments you have to make, and I do get it. But, yeah, at the end of the day, their, their top two shows are going to be shoulder programming. You know, even while noting all that from what we've seen so far, Fox also has the Thursday night NFL game to promote the fight, and then a robust day of college football on Saturday. The Saturday of the fight, starting with Ohio State-Penn State, which I think is like number two versus number nine or something. I don't really keep up with college football, but two great teams. Like, you almost can't have a better promotional platform for casual fans. And remember, these are fans who are all you're doing is saying that this is for the heavyweight, ti- you know, heavyweight championship of the world, the big heavyweight title fight. It's the big bad American heavyweight, you know. That's kind of all you need to to tell the American fans, the casual fans. You know, again, at HBO we'd have had, we'd have done anything to have this kind of platform. I've personally, I mean, you can make a case that this is the biggest. Mainstream marketing campaign for a pay-per-view fight ever in terms of pure marketing assets. Obviously, Mayweather-Pacquiao and, and Oscar Mayweather had bigger campaigns in terms when you combine all the owned, paid, and earned media. But this is the most sort of paid media. I guess it depends how you define on-air marketing. You could probably make a case it's owned media, but not not in the traditional definition of this. You know, uh, whatever. I'm getting too inside marketing here, but. This isn't getting a PR and earned media push like these bigger fights that just have more public interest. But, I mean, this is the this is a huge, huge, huge campaign. I mean, if we're going to go really nerdy, I would say I have not liked the TV spot. I did not like it. Uh, or the fight camp programming. I didn't really like that. And initially, I'd say if you're looking to convince core fans to buy the fight, like you need to nail those elements. But what I'd say here, and when I saw them, especially with the spot, you see it and it, and it's just not a, a spot that's going to get a core fan excited. But when you see how much Fox has been blasting it out, especially with what type of, of programming they're blasting out, and when you see that they're kind of like dumbing it down a bit, especially with the shoulder programming for casuals. Like, their marketing campaign is aimed at casuals. And when you factor those things in, that's probably the right move to make. It's probably the right way to go. Like, heavyweights still sell well to the general public and the casual fan base. That's a significant part of this whole sell. They're not overthinking it. And given the lack of institutional knowledge at Fox for this – And, you know, that's not me throwing shade at him. It's just the truth. Like, Showtime and HBO have far more institutional knowledge of the sport. Look, I actually think it's a wise decision. They're not overthinking things, and they're just going to focus on selling it to the casual fan base. One of the most important developments that I've also seen here is that cable companies are actually now going back to giving support for the pay-per-view they've probably noticed how much play Fox is giving it during the NFL, and they've jumped in on their own because of the increased awareness of the fight to casuals. I mean, I actually saw the Spectrum version of the ad it, it, going really complicated. What happens is you can see there's the national ad that Fox plays, and then each cable company will make their own version of the ad, which is essentially the same ad, but it's with their tagging, uh, which I'm just—that's getting into really nuanced stuff here. But I saw the tagged Charter Spectrum version of the ad. So Charter Communications owns Spectrum. Spectrum is basically in L.A. and New York. So it's in two of the—you know—it has a significant portion of two of the uh, of the two biggest markets for pay-per-view fights. And I was watching. It wasn't just my wife and I were watching something late at night where I saw it. I was actually watching like an an ESPN. Uh, a, a significant piece of programming on ESPN, let's just put it that way. And it blew my mind because Charter Spectrum hasn't lifted a finger to market a fight on pay-per-view in years. As a company policy, they basically give zero Fs about pay-per-view. And this isn't just boxing pay-per-views, anything. Like they just they just don't do that. And the fact that they're playing the ad in a prime slot, like that means they gave up something on a local ad sell that would have been significant for them. And it just mean what, what that means – and, and I've, I've checked with other cable companies. Look, this is something – it's not just limited to spectrum. Like this is something that's happening elsewhere. And what you're seeing is even though the cable companies are probably thinking initially they get screwed because they're they're getting less of a fee than they normally get. Fox is doing such a crazy job blasting out marketing materials in this fight that they're actually kind of like, hey, the awareness is high enough. Let's jump back on board. It says a lot. It, that says a lot. You know, again, my intel is this is happening in other markets. It's happening in some key markets across the country. It's also happening on kind of like the bar movie theater level. And this is a big win-win for Fox and PBC. It wasn't this. I can tell you for a fact, this wasn't happening for Pacquiao Thurman or Spence Porter. So it's kind of getting the best of both worlds for Fox. Now I don't know. I don't know what level it's happening. at. I just know it's increased. And obviously it's basically increased from a very, very, very minimal amount. Uh, But the fact that it's happening, period, is super significant. All these places are just seeing a huge uptick in their indicators for this fight. And while that doesn't mean that people will convert, especially casuals, it's a really good indicator of success. You know, I also think there's an important narrative going on for Wilder in particular with the boxing hardcore fan base and sort of boxing writers. Like, Wilder is one of these guys that most boxing insiders were... Like, incredibly skeptical of for years. I mean, I would, you know, I basically look, I have a pretty open mind about that stuff, but I would probably include myself in that group. And it's not, when I say skeptical, it's not that you doubt the knockout power, but here's an example. Like, I've never watched him spar, but I've talked to multiple people who have watched him spar. And look, disclaimer sparring only matters so much, but apparently. Wilder regularly shows a lack of skill in sparring. Now, a lot of times when you're sparring, especially when you're someone like him, you're working on certain things in the ring. But even right now, most people would describe Wilder as not that skilled of a fighter. But he does have historic power. And I think we're starting to see a movement that's probably started maybe a a year ago. But I think you're, you're starting to see... It's really Wilder is starting to convince people. I think he convinced me a little while ago, but he's starting to convince a lot of other people that he's actually pretty good. Like, I, when I talk with casual fans about him, I compare him to Steph Curry and I use this analogy. I'd say, look, you'd never say Steph Curry is a great defender uh, or an amazing dribbler or, you know, I mean, I'm not like a super inside basketball nerd, so, but. What you'd say is, like, he has a historically elite three-point shot, like maybe the best ever. And what he's able to do is use that elite talent to his advantage that all of a sudden makes him a much better passer, much better player. I mean, it doesn't really make him a better defender, but it increases all his other skills that may be above average, that may be really good. It takes them up another level just because he has that elite skill. Wilder's kind of the same way. No one's ever going to look at him and say, hey, he's the most skilled fighter in the world, and Tyson Fury basically showed that. But Deontay Wilder's got historic power, and he has another important skill. He doesn't get frustrated when people outskill him. So in that respect, his historic power isn't just its own skill. It actually improves all of his other skills because he's able to land punches and get away with some technical flaws because he has historically elite power. And you can also see him improving all those other skills from fight to fight. He's also has excellent conditioning, which I think really, really matters. I mean, you saw that in, in, quite frankly, you saw it in the first Ortiz fight. But going back to this sort of, the way that core fans view him, you're starting to see a lot more of like, hey, this guy has elite power. He uses it really well strategically, and he's just really good. You know, Canelo was like this, too. Canelo, we talked at HBO. We were like, we don't even know if Canelo's that good. Like, We called him matinee idol and stuff like that when we were describing him. But he's just continued to erase doubters as he's climbed the ranks. And now, you know, Wilder is even starting to appear on pound-for-pound pound lists. Like, it starts – usually – and Wilder Fury is a great example here. Usually, when there's an initial fight, you think, look, the better boxer is going to win the rematch – and Fury is just clearly the better boxer. But one of the things Wilder does really well is he gets his timing down, and he's got such historic power that once he gets his timing down, you know, you might actually say, Well, actually, in his case, the better boxer won't win the rematch because once Wilder has such he's able to adjust his timing, and now if he's got the timing down on Fury, he'll just end up knocking Fury out. There's another element to this pay-per-view. Um, that I would have – well, let's just just say for the PBC, I question this part of it. And as much as I love – as much as I highly – I really think this pay-per-view is going to outperform expectations on pay-per-view. I highly doubt it's going to be profitable. Uh, And I talked about this a bit with Spence and Porter. I mean, they were both homegrown – PBC fighters and when they each made the jump to pay-per-view they got fiscally responsible deals you know and their fight likely made PBC a, a, a profit and and makes it repeatable basically but this fight is really going to have to do great numbers to make money and this goes kind of back to that debate of what cups, comes out constantly with Wilder and to be fair a few other fighters in terms of like this inner conflict with the PBC, and I mean, I think the bottom line here is that Wilder is getting paid in excess of $20 million for this fight, and Ortiz is getting over $7 million for this fight. And you look at the root of that issue, and you say, well, why is Wilder getting that much money? Because DeZone made him a lucrative offer, in which he did not take. So the management wing of PBC did an excellent job. They went out and got their client an amazing guaranteed salary. Showtime paid him and I'll say, look, this is according to unconfirmed reports, basically what I've heard, you know, it's an eight-figure salary in May. Uh, and supposedly his, I don't know whether it was PBC kicking in the rest, but, you know, supposedly he got very close to, you know, high teens, maybe close to that $20 million. Now he's supposedly getting $20 million. And if you look at that, I mean, you're like, wow, that's, you know, basically his contract offer from dzone was going to pay him Two fights at 20 million bucks and then two fights at 40 million bucks each for those obviously the bigger fights being the Joshua fights. You know. So great job on the management side of PBC for making sure their client did get paid when he turned down that deal. Unfortunately, for the management side of PBC, the content side of PBC is the place that had to step in and make sure that the pay-per-view guarantee was there this time for Wilder. So they're on the hook for that twenty million bucks. I mean, they also have DAZN, quite frankly, to thank for forcing them to pay Ortiz seven million dollars, because obviously Ortiz turned down an offer to fight AJ that would have been in that five to seven million dollar range. Now, as I've detailed before, if we're talking like a month ago, I would have said this fight would be a fiscal bloodbath for PBC. Like there would be zero chance they come close to making money. And I actually think now there's a pathway to them doing better than Pacquiao Thurman. And if they do that, maybe they only lose a modest amount of of money rather than just being a complete bloodbath, which, you know, that would be a huge win for them. I mean, basically, Wilder has, from what it sounds like, the same guaranteed salary as Pacquiao. And Ortiz has, from what it sounds like, a really similar salary to Thurman. So they're going to have to do as well as that for this to, to even, you know, just not be a disaster for them. I mean, I think they need to make some major improvements. You know, they need they they need to do far better on digital buy. Like they they've been doing very well on digital buys, and uh, you can listen to that really incredible interview that Chris Mannix did with Bill uh, Wanger, and he he put the rate at ten to twelve percent. That's really good for boxing. That's not good for like UFC. So you know the they they need to continue to do better there. They need to do a huge gate. Obviously, you know, we've sort of seen this weird messaging on the ticket sales where, I mean, tickets for this were overpriced. So now they're coming down. I don't, I'll just be honest, like, I don't think that affects the pay per view sales at all, but it does mean they're not going to get as high of a gate as they wanted. I mean, even if they get to 500,000 buys or a little more and do well with some of these markers, like, Maybe there's a pathway to only losing a few million dollars than taking like some eight-figure loss in this fight if there was sort of the old-school pathway. You know, and what does this all mean? I think there is a pathway here for this fight to top 500,000 buys, which is probably the biggest advertisement for Fox pay-per-view rather than Showtime and what you can do on their platform. Like I said, in the old world, there's just no way that would be possible. I mean, we're at the point in terms of awareness where I'd be disappointed if this fight doesn't do 325 to 350. You know, which is kind of crazy. I mean, Wilder Fury only did 325, and Fury, while he wasn't known to the American public, played a huge role in promoting that fight just because not only does he speak English and he has a fascinating story, he's also just great at talking, and he's a great promotional partner for selling the fight. I obviously think 400Ks buys is very doable I think it it might even be likely at this point I'm happy for PVC that even in the worst case scenario their financial risk is mitigated because I mean who knows how much of this Waddell and Reed money is left and I want to make sure that <laughs> any loss here doesn't come out of the actual programming budget for Fox or FS1 but I do really think this is possible and like I said in the old school world like, we're just not in the same universe here. We're just not in the same universe. I think most boxing insiders probably looked at this as three hundred to three fifty. Maybe they can get to four hundred, but I, I and look, I will be prepared to eat crow on this. I mean, I used to work at a, at a talent agency. I saw plenty of uh, tracking for movies where the tracking looked great, the awareness looked great. And then they didn't perform at the box office. And we're dealing with casuals here. So we don't know. Their actions are not as dependable as core fans. But Fox has done this right, in my opinion. And I do think they can hit 500,000 buys. Which is crazy. No no one would have thought that. But let's look at the other major fight here. And I won't go into, into this as deep because I did talk about it a little bit on my last DAZN episode, but we can just talk about the ramifications afterwards. So December 7th, we have the rematch of AJ and Andy Ruiz. This is obviously the other major event on the horizon for the heavyweight division. What is so unique about both these events is pure and simple, like the stakes for the networks. And I don't know that we'll see two fights in a row where DAZN, Fox, and ESPN have so much riding on the outcome I mean, I've gone over DAZN in the past, but let's just quickly lay it out here. I mean, AJ beats Ruiz in the rematch, and DAZN has three heavyweight titles. They have the biggest commercial draw in the division, at least worldwide. Like, he's obviously a much bigger draw in the UK and worldwide than he is in the US yet. And they have a pathway to making some of the biggest fights in the heavyweight division, though not immediately. Eddie Hearn has some top contenders. Most are foreign rather than American. So the building process would have to continue. And especially if Saudi Arabia is willing to continue to delivering these kind of paydays, we may see a lot more heavyweight title fights there with AJ. So in some respects, DAZN has a lot riding on this, but they still have a lot of work to do. Like they'd really have to focus on building AJ as a U.S. subscriber draw. And there isn't an obvious pathway for that into 2020 unless they convince either Wilder or Fury to take a fight offer there and fight on zone, or unless they can build Usyk into something meaningful, you know, and and all these guys would have to take really big paydays in the U S like in a weird way, especially from a pure brand marketing sense, not from a boxing sense. This is pure brand marketing. Unless AJ comes back and beats everybody, DAZN has kind of like gotten what they need out of him. Like he put them on the map in the U S from that, in terms of the articles afterwards, all the sort of people just getting to know what DAZN is. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing for them if he lost and they just weren't committed to paying huge salaries for him and and to building him in the U.S. because I don't know if he is the type of fighter that that could get established as a star in the U.S. That's still a question mark. Like, they made their name. But, you know, with the boxing reality, they'd have nothing to show for the heavyweight division, so they basically they they made someone's name and then they made Andy Ruiz's name and then they don't get any piece of Andy Ruiz moving forward. So obviously if you look at what that does for them that still the focus should be him should should be on him becoming a US subscriber draw, but I'm just saying that's not an automatic thing even if he wins. Fox has definitely the most riding on the next two fights. I mean they're in the wilder business in a very real way. One can make the argument he's the biggest star over there, and he certainly has the most potential to quickly becoming a pay-per-view superstar for Fox. But he needs to beat Ortiz, and I mean, he, he really needs to do that for the future commercial opportunities for Fox. I mean, Ortiz is older, doesn't speak English, and he's already been KO'd by Wilder, so an Ortiz win would derail all of the major work they've done in building Wilder. And look, Just in terms of what could happen down the road, Wilder could be one half of an all-PBC unification title fight if Andy Ruiz beats Anthony Joshua. You could unify all the titles with Deontay Wilder, who you basically already built into what appears to be a pretty sellable heavyweight American superstar, and then Andy Ruiz, who is also American, but of Mexican descent, and who has fought for Mexico, so he would potentially ignite the Hispanic fan base. I mean, how big of a fight would that be? So if both Fox and PBC fighters win, Wilder can go straight to the Fury rematch, if he wants, and get a Ruiz mandatory defense out of the way. Or they can go to a straight, complete unification fight that would involve all the titles, even the one that Fox doesn't recognize. And if they felt like freezing out ESPN and Fury after that, they could Or they could make that fight and add the lineal title fight to the mix from the winner. And they could just completely answer all the core and casual boxing fans' prayers and not only unify the heavyweight division, but set up other rematches and other big fights. Like, just make an absolute pay-per-view superstar out of at least one fighter, possibly more. In the process, they'd probably just rake in so much pay-per-view distribution revenue that they'd likely get an incredible discount on the rights fee they pay every year to PBC. But this is all assuming that both Wilder and Ruiz win. And it could go the other way, too. I mean, Wilder could win this fight, but if it really underperforms and look, I don't think it will. But what if this does just do an old-world number, 225? You think Fox is going to want to put this much marketing muscle into something like that again? It could go that way, too. The one network we haven't talked about yet, ESPN, might actually have more to lose than anyone. Like, they're hoping Wilder wins and that AJ beats Ruiz, which would pretty much ensure that PBC goes directly to Wilder Fury 2 and possibly 3 and offers ESPN the best chance to get some return on their huge investment in Tyson Fury. I and mean, trust me, ESPN needs Tyson Fury to fight on pay-per-view, and they need that in a very real way. So they, they have obvious rooting interests as well. In terms of the other entities involved, I mean, really, it's just PBC has the most at stake here because if Wilder can beat Ortiz in the rematch, and if the fight performs the way I'm predicting it, then they won't lose their shirts. And then if Wilder can beat Fury in that rematch... And if Ruiz beats AJ and then does a unification fight with Wilder, wow, that's a lot of ifs. But all of a sudden, you have a real pathway to Wilder coming close or possibly even matching. I don't think he'd top it. But certainly matching the financial package that DeZone was offering, which who would have thought that? That seemed crazy. I mean, now to be clear, so many things would have to happen for this, like the Fury and Ruiz fights would have to do crazy numbers, which I, I think they can do, especially if they're going to do. If there's going to be marketing campaigns like this, like they'd have to do well over three million total pay per view buys, like what, at least one point five million each, probably more. I'd have to sit down and do the math, but you know, and and the splits would be different for Fox of doing it with ESPN. But look, all of a sudden. And obviously the B sides here aren't really this isn't a Mayweather fight where Mayweather takes you know a huge chunk of the purse money and 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 the opponent doesn't make that much. I mean these opponents would have to get paid. All of a sudden, though, you can say to your fighters that you manage, look, like we can really do this. We figured out a way to make Deontay whole after he got offered a four fight one hundred twenty million dollar deal. We made pay per view work for him. I mean, I think they'll still have lost some of their own money along the way to do that. But that money might have, it might be worth it to keep their credibility with the fighters and with their network partners. It's kind of crazy to think about. I'm not saying this is likely scenario at all. Like, but even when he turned down that money, I said, you can listen to the show. I, I didn't think it was likely that he would get close to that. But there were pathways. And it's weird because back then the pathways were Deontay fighting AJ on pay-per-view. But maybe Deontay versus Ruiz is, is, is the biggest fight that can possibly get made. So, again, so many downloads here, so many different ways to think about it. But the fact that there's even a pathway for Deontay Wilder to to, to come close to making uh, 120 million dollars in four fights speaks volumes to the risk that PBC took, you know. And certainly in the short term, they can still say trust the process with their fighters, and and and, and it'll make sense to the fighters. It'll make sense. The real crazy thing, though, is just. When you look at the odds for this, I mean, Ortiz is like a plus 450 underdog and Wilder is a 7-to-1 favorite. It's, you know, Ortiz absolutely can win this fight and just make this whole part of my deep dive meaningless. He can absolutely do it. And I will say on a little bit of a downer note at the end, just when you think there's a pretty clear pathway to gaining clarity in the heavyweight division after I'm so, you know, you, you can sort of just see it right now. I mean, obviously, the sanctioning bodies are at work. I mean, PBC doesn't even recognize the WBO, so we'll see how that goes if Ruiz wins. My guess is they drop it, even in the face of a full unification. If AJ were to win, it, it'll be interesting to see how Eddie Hearn treats this because AJ Usyk would be on track for some point in 2020. I mean, Usyk can also... Uh, you know, basically fight for the WBO title because he he was the WBO cruiserweight titleist. You know, for all of us who sat through that awful Kubrat Pulev fight on the Jamel Herring undercard, Pulev is now in line for a shot at the IBF title and the IBF follows their rules because the FBI invaded them years ago. So that one would just have to get dropped or turn into a payday for Ruiz if you want to take it, but I'm not sure really how you sell Andy Ruiz versus Kubrat Pulev. That's a semi depressing way to end the deep dive, but look, that's how we roll in boxing. All in all, this is the first time I've been impressed with not just the sheer volume of marketing that Fox has done, but actually where there's some content strategy that, you know, I I think could be helpful. Certainly, it's not hurt the fight in a major way. Like, again, I went on, on record saying I think they left buys on the table for Spence Porter, the way that they sold that with their content. Um, you know if i had to give a number right now i'd predict 425 to 450 i'm doing this wednesday night really you're going to you're going to know a lot more on friday you're going to and, and i won't know that because i won't have access to the tracking that's really the, you know fox and pbc should be the ones who know that but again the pathway there is a pathway to top 500 i'm not sure i'd say that's super likely but the the pathway exists and it would become the top pay-per-view seller of the year uh, Pacquiao Thurman did ultimately did not get there, from what I've heard, and uh, from you know it it does take like six weeks to get all the actual pay per views counted in. Just just remember that stuff. Like when when you see a number on Monday, that's um <laughs> that means they're happy, but it, it's also in, especially in this world where there's it's a much dispersed way of buying pay per views. That's still no one really knows on Monday let's just be real here um, also let's be real casuals they might be really well aware of this but they may not want to pay 75 bucks for this and there's also a pathway to 325 or maybe even less I mean I highly doubt it goes 300 just based on the the significant numbers I'm seeing um, you know but who knows if I had to again right now I'm saying 425 to 450. Uh, and I'm and I'll be fully prepared to eat crow if I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I'm nothing has gotten me as excited about seeing some of this stuff uh, that, that Fox is doing and actually seeing it. where we, you are starting to see indicators that it's paying off. I, I love that stuff. Okay, let's move on to the preview section. Two decent weekends coming up in terms of boxing. Let's start with Saturday, you know, November 23rd. The big one we have talked about here from Las Vegas on Fox Pay-Per-View. Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz. The WBC heavyweight title at stake. It's a rematch. Wilder's a 7-1 favorite, but Ortiz showed you he has multiple pathways to victory. Uh, which actually include, I would say, seeing how much, how in shape he is. It's not just a knockout for him. Uh, he, he could also win on the scorecards. Also on the card, Leo Santa Cruz is fighting Miguel Flores for a vacant WBA junior lightweight title and Brandon Figueroa, uh, and by the way, obviously that is a bullshit vacant WBA junior lightweight title. Brandon Figueroa fights Julio Seja for Figueroa's WBA regular junior featherweight title. Luis Neri is fighting Emmanuel Rodriguez at phantomweight in a fight that I'm really looking forward to. Santa Cruz is between a 50 and a 100-to-1 favorite, and that tells you all you need to know about that fight, and honestly, much of Santa Cruz's last couple of years in this sport. Figueroa is about a 3 or 4-to-1 favorite, and those odds indicate how solid of a test this is for him. Neri is between a 4 and 5-to-1 favorite, but I actually think really highly of both Neri and Rodriguez. I think Rodriguez is legit, like, you know, actually... I think Neri is better than Figueroa, and I think Rodriguez is better than Seha. I think it's this is this is a really high level fight. It's an excellent test for Neri. Rodriguez definitely has pathways to victory here, you know. And remember, when it's four to one or five to one, the comeback is still like plus three hundred or something like that. So it's not it, it. You're not just saying that he has a twenty percent chance to win. Like I, I think I think that that there's really. Uh, Rodriguez, look, I favor Neri, Rodriguez definitely has pathways to victory here. And other than the Leo fight, this is a great pay-per-view card from top to bottom. So, bravo, PBC, and Fox for that one. We usually don't get that kind of stuff, so good good work there. Also on Saturday, November 23rd, from Liverpool, England, and on to zone, Calum Smith is fighting John Ryder for Smith's WBA super middleweight title, Smith is between a 16 and 25 to one favorite, depending on where you look. And I'll just be perfectly honest. I have not seen enough of John Ryder to ride or die on this, but I do not see, I have seen him fight before and I do not see a real pathway for Ryder to win in this. Usually when it's under 20 to one, I would say usually for me, it's like 12 to 15 to one is really where you're going to say, okay, usually at 12 to one, the underdog definitely has at least one pathway to victory there. When it's 16 to 25 wins, sometimes you can come up with something. I mean, 25 to 1 is really starting to be like, nah, not happening. When it's 16 wins, sometimes you can find a pathway to victory. I don't see a pathway to victory for Ryder here. That's my point. Not a whole lot else on this card. That fight is significant, though. I mean, Callum Smith, you know, it could be a Canelo Alvarez opponent here. Uh, DeZone has another card on later in the day where Andrew Cancio fights Rene Alvarado for Cancio's WBA regular. Junior lightweight title, not the bullshit one. Um also on the card, zoo Khan fights Manny Robles the third for Khan's WBA regular featherweight title. You just gotta give the WA a lot of credit with all this stuff. This is this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any better. Uh is between an eight to one to favorite and a twenty to one favorite where you look uh you know I'd probably place him more in like the ten to twelve to one uh, range personally, and then at zoo's like a two or three to one favorite so th- those should be i mean look Cancio is a fun t v fighter no matter what i i i think he will win this one um but he's a fun t v fighter i don't i don't think he should be a twenty one favorite i will say that uh and then obviously the you know robles and zukan is really well matched like these should be really fun fights. Let's move ahead to Saturday, November 30th from Las Vegas on ESPN plus Oscar Valdez takes on Andres Gutierrez in a WBC junior lightweight eliminator. Also on the card, Carl Frampton fights Tyler McCreary at junior lightweight and Carlos Adamas fights Patrick Teixeira in a WBO junior middleweight eliminator. This is not really the strongest effort from ESPN really to say the least. I mean, I understand they all can't be great, and some of these fights are for positioning, but there just isn't an anchor fight here that you can imagine being a fun, competitive TV fight. Frampton's about a 25-to-1 favorite. Valdez is between a 70 and a 100-to-1 favorite, which reinforces my point here. Both of these guys should just blow away their opponents, and if they don't, there's problems. There are a few foreign cards. like Probably the most significant one here is on the zone, which is actually really good where Radzab Buteyav fights Alexander Besputin for a vacant WBA regular welterweight title, and then Cecilia Breakus fights Victoria Bustos in a women's welterweight title fight. Zhang Zillier fights Sergei Kuzmin at heavyweight. Besputin is under a 2-to-1 favorite at at most books, let's call him minus 175. Breakus is about a 20-to-1 favorite on most books, but as high as 50-to-1. Kuzmin is well under two to one favor. He's like a minus one thirty, and he's coming back from his loss. This is a really good fight. I mean, especially I think it's in Monaco. It's, but it's a really good fight card, especially for you know for us Americans coming on earlier in the day. Like this is pretty good. Uh, But so that's the stuff upcoming. I hope everyone enjoys the fights this weekend. I really think there's this is a great weekend of fights. Uh, even the, the stuff on the zone is great. I mean, I, I, in a lot of ways, I wish they wouldn't be going up against the the pay-per-view. I mean, the, the, you know, I don't think that's counter-programming. I, th- I think we can safely say that's just not counter-programming in this day and age. That's a good fight card. You should have put it on Friday night. Um, and then everybody else, I will talk to you guys after Thanksgiving Enjoy Turkey Day, enjoy Thanksgiving. Um, have you know, talk to you guys in 2 weeks. H- have a great holiday coming up and enjoy the fights. Did you get what you was looking for?